Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, deep political policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually... Um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. Welcome, oddities, to another The Odd Man Out. I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me. And notice that I said The Odd Man Out instead of The Oddcast featuring The Odd Man Out. No worries. I just made a simple change. We're still going to call it The Oddcast, but in the title, on the podcast, and as well on my social media, it's going to say The Odd Man Out because that's already what my social media says anyway. When I was naming the show, I didn't really know what to do. I was trying to make it sound different, and there were Oddcasts and the Odd Man Out podcast already, but I really liked that idea of standing on the outside and looking in, you know, being an outcast and kind of separating myself from the left-right paradigm. So I decided the Odd Man featuring FT dot the Odd Man Out. But I've noticed that it's very hard for new people to find the show, and they usually end up giving up because they get confused. It's the FT there, or or maybe just because it's so long of a title. So I just shortened it on Podbean to The Odd Man Out. And like I said, that's where you can find me, underscore The Odd Man Out, on Twitter and Instagram. So I think this is going to work out better in the long run. Like I said, we can still call it The Oddcast all we want, but I think this will help people out, maybe get some new people onto the show, which... I could always use because I have noticed that the numbers are down and I think that maybe, maybe that's because of the, those we don't speak of series, a lot of people can't handle that kind of, uh, kind of subject, I guess you'd say, but it's probably a a bunch of different things. But anyway, thank you so much for hanging out with me and I think you're going to enjoy the show. This week we're going to be taking up in the Freemasonry series that we've done so many shows on. There was one I did a few months ago and it, basically focused on the similarities between Kabbalah and Freemasonry. And, of course, we've talked about that in the past, you know, 
Uh, Kabbalah is the basis, it's the foundation stone, if you will, for Freemasonry. And I should have called that one episode. It was an episode out of four, I think. One of the episodes was all about the Kabbalah. And I should have called that Kabbalah and Freemasonry. I think I'll go back and change it or maybe put in a subtitle so people will know. But when you look into the notes of this episode, it will have that episode as well. So you'll be able to go back and check it out. Now, a lot of people are familiar with this somewhat. I think it's a subject that's really been kind of missed by a lot of alt media. Even a lot of these really good authors, they don't really focus on Kabbalah being such a big part of Freemasonry. You know, you might get a paragraph or so, and you might get a casual mention here or there, usually one of Albert Pike or Manly P. Hall's quotes, or maybe Albert Mackey, and that's about it. So I wanted to go deeper, and I did that on the other episode, and I'm going to do that here, because I think that it's important for us to realize that Kabbalah really is the, not just the basis for Freemasonry, but it's the basis for almost all secret societies. It's the foundation of the occult. It's the gateway to the occult, if you will. And just like Freemasonry, in my opinion, is the gateway to New Age beliefs, which are, you know, all of these are connected, obviously, and have similarities. But we'll just get right into the show. I'm going to talk about some things they have in common, and then we'll get into a whole lot of quotes by people talking about Freemasonry and Kabbalah. And then there'll probably actually be another episode dedicated just to this. Um, I think we're going to look into a couple of occult authors who kind of give their view of Freemasonry, Kabbalah, and the Jewish connection, Judaism, if you will. So uh, we'll we'll do that because I think it's important. It gets left out. Uh, You hear a lot of things said, but a lot of overly simplistic statements concerning those three things. And I think that we can kind of clear up some of the, well, the conspiracies, if you will, and we can kind of prove some of this stuff. And that's what I'm out to do is kind of see what we can prove so you can kind of have a better grip on some of these things, some of these subjects like Freemasonry and Kabbalah. These are not easy subjects. These are very, very layered subjects. And I think that it very much helps us to get information that we don't hear from other people that we can add to kind of our uh, Rolodex of information and kind of put the kind of pieces together for ourselves. And, um, you know, like I always say, it's kind of a cliche at this point because a lot of people say it, but I'm just here to bring you information and you can kind of do your own research afterwards, come up with your own conclusions. I try not to put a whole lot of opinion in my shows, but I, of course I do drop opinion. I can't help it, but I try not to make that the focus of the show because so many do that. And I think that in this day and age, we can use some more straight ahead information that we can put together and add up ourselves. You know, if that makes sense, I think you understand what I'm trying to say. So anyway, without any further rambling, let's go ahead and get into the show. Now, I ran across this quote by Rabbi Zvi Freeman, and it's on the Lights of Kabbalah Facebook page, which is a pretty good follow. They have a lot of Kabbalistic quotes. A lot of them are from this Rabbi Freeman, but they have others. And most of the time, they're kind of new agey quotes, but sometimes you can find one of these really deep esoteric quotes. I wouldn't say that 
this particular quote is one of those, but I think it is revealing. Now, short quote here, Kabbalah is not a secret teaching. It is the teaching of a secret. Read that again. Kabbalah is not a secret teaching. It is the teaching of a secret. And it just reminded me immediately of the kind of international Freemasonry motto, Freemasonry is not a secret society, but a society of secrets. Freemasonry is not a secret society, but a society of secrets. And I think we've all heard that line before, if we've looked into this. Another thing you look at, of course, is Kabbalists, they are said to be gathering these sparks. I've said in the past, it's like they're gathering sparks that have escaped and are kind of trying to put God back together. So I'm going to read you a quote here. Uh, Kabbalah means to receive, and Zoharites, or Kabbalists, are obsessed with gathering sparks of light through good deeds, or tikkun olam. Uh, tikkun olam, as many of you know, that is said to be good deeds. It's the repair of the world. You're fulfilling these, these laws. So Freemason initiates, on a couple of different levels, degrees, are asked why they are on their journey, and the candidate repeats, in search for light. So there they are light gatherers as well. It's all about light. And they are called, Freemasons, to do what they call the great work, which is done through good deeds. So this is just tikkun olam. So you could say that the great work is tikkun olam for Gentiles, although, of course, Jews can still be Freemasons. Another thing, the Zohar speaks of levels in Kabbalah and hidden levels. Well, you hear Freemasons like Manly P. Hall and Albert Pike talking about levels between levels. Are you on the level is one of the main Freemasonic mottos. So there's another similarity there. This might get away from Kabbalah, but I thought this was interesting and worth mentioning. The Levite priest from the Bible, okay, at first it was the patriarch. He was the priest. But then it changed until they had three priests or three grades, as I've seen on biblical websites talk about. So the Levite priest had three grades, just as the Blue Lodge has three grades or degrees. Of course, we're talking about the Blue Lodge, and you can't help but think about, well, at least I can't help, but think about the blue and white flag of Israel, which we know the star goes much, much farther back than Israel, and many believe it's the star of Rimfan, but at least, at the very least, it does represent as above, so below, which is very esoteric and Kabbalistic. The color blue from this website, this is a Chabad.org website, and the article is called The Contradictory Color. It says the color blue is a most unusual color within the spectrum of Judaism. It was used extensively in the Mishkan and even on the high priest's clothing. Its most familiar use was as the color of one of the fringes of our four-cornered garments. I want to look a little bit deeper at this article quickly, but... I do want to mention that uh, we heard, uh, I believe it was Rabbi Aaron Yuvin talking about how when the Moshiach comes back, uh, each Jew will have 2,800 Gentiles uh, pulling at the fringes of his garment. 
and he's going to teach them Torah. You know, they'll be willing Torah slaves. As I've said in the past, this is just a fact. So it just kind of reminded me of that. But let's look a little bit deeper. Let's look at this article here and see what this says. So the Mishkin, I want to read this quickly again. The color blue is a most unusual color within the spectrum of Judaism. It was used extensively in the Mishkin. So that is spelled M-I-S-H-K-A-N. Let's see what this is. The tabernacle or temporary sanctuary in which the divine presence, that would be the Shekinah, dwelled during the Jews' journey through the desert. That's an A. That's the A explanation. The B explanation, the portion of the tabernacle and the temple building before the Holy of Holies, which contained the inner altar, the table for the showbread, and the menorah. So I thought we would just kind of uh, tie that up there because I didn't want to talk about something that we don't know much about. It goes on to say, Blue is also commonly found painted on the gravestones of righteous people in the mystical city of Zephat. Also, some homes there are painted blue. All of this suggests that there must be a special holiness to this color. So it seems strange that there is an entirely different reputation to this color too. The gematria of the word, and I guess we should read what gematria is for any of you new people out there. It says gematria, Hebrew numerologue, a tradition of interpreting biblical verses on the basis of the numerical equivalence of Hebrew letters. And then it's got a another uh, article you can go to on Chabad.org, uh, everything you need to know about gematria. So let's go back into it. All of this suggests that there must be a special holiness to this color. So it seems strange that there is an entirely different reputation to this color too. The gematria of the word blue in Hebrew, tekelet, is the same as the gematria of the word you would hearken. That's more than one word. You would hearken. In Hebrew, that is shematum. It is also the gematria of and sanctify them, or in Hebrew, and you shall be ensnared in Tinkanesh. Let's think about this for a minute. So, gematria is something, of course, that Kabbalists use. Now, I believe that gematria was just a part of Judaism, a part of their culture, even way before Kabbalah came along. But we know that gematria is also a big part of Freemasonry, numerology, and different things like that. And there's the septenary cipher, which... Albert Pike was very fond of, septenary meaning seven, if I'm not mistaken. Let's go on and read a little bit more about this. There's a good lesson about gematria here. If words found in the Torah have the same numerical value, there must be a good reason for it. This is true even when the words that have opposite meanings share the same numerical value. When this happens, you must look deeper and most often broader until you find the overall relationship between them. In the case of blue, we find that although it is found in so many holy places, when it comes to dreams and visions, we are strictly warned, all colors and visions are a good omen except for the color blue. It is the low color, and much ardent prayer must be exercised to avoid it. And that's in the Zohar Hadash and the Gomorrah Barakat. It goes on to say that the reason why some people paint blue on gravestones in their homes is because they see this to be the protection from the evil eye. 
Whether or not how much these things exist is not the subject at hand. But those who do concern themselves with such things say, Blue is the color of the sea, and fish live in the sea, and fish never close their eyes. So this color must provide protection from the evil eye. This is also why fish are a common motif in jewelry and artwork. The reason why blue is used on the fringe or the tzitzit, that's T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T, it's kind of hard to say, and it explains that the tzitzit is the fringed four-cornered garment, the fringes of said garment. And it says the reason why the blue is used on the fringes is to help remind us to do the commandments. Blue reminds us of the ocean and of the sky. These are the two elements that we cannot live without. But they are also two elements we cannot live in. Picture yourself in the middle of the ocean without a boat or in the middle of the sky without an airplane. What would you immediately think? God help me? Blue certainly can be a reminder to do his commandments. Yet, blue is called the lower or sick color in visions. How can this apparent contradiction be explained? How can blue be holy in so many places and also be called low and sick? Well, before I even mention that, I mean, there's so much duality in Kabbalah, Kabbalah, whatever, that, uh, you know, they can say anything can mean anything. And that's just like all of the occult. There's really no boundaries. They can draw any parallel they want. And that's why I kind of warn people that this kind of stuff can drive you crazy. Because a lot of times there ends up not being a way to prove it's right or wrong. And you really, I think that it leads one to kind of come to the conclusion that there are no absolutes, which is very dangerous. And as I've said it in many shows, that's what basically all the secret societies that I've looked into kind of at the end of the day teach. that There are no absolutes. That's very dangerous. Very dangerous. And it goes on to say, use sunlight as an analogy. The human eye cannot see the actual light, but when we bend the light through a prism, we see the spectrum of its colors. If you would point with one finger to the red light and with another finger to the blue light, how many lights would you be pointing to? If you said two, you were wrong. There is only one light there. There is only one light in seven colors. Uh, this gets a little crazy and very new agey. Uh, we'll read just a little bit more. In visions and the most mystical dealings, we always seek the revelation of God, which is formless and singular. The sunlight in our illustration represents this formless, universal, singular perspective. The colors in this example represent the particulars within the universal since they are many. Blue is the lowest color on the spectrum. All colors or particulars take our attention away from the light, the universal. Since blue is the lowest color, it is portrayed as the furthest away from the universal. And then it says, This color was also seen in the glorious vision that Moses and the elders were shown. Quote, Under his feet was the likeness of sapphire brickwork, and it was like the essence of the heaven in purity. So it's saying that sapphire is deep blue. That's uh, Exodus 24.10. Uh, and then we'll finish out right here. Now we can see the reason those words share the same numerical value. You will hearken when you see the blue fringe. You will sanctify when you see this color on the high priest's garment in other holy places. And you will be ensnared if you focus on the color in meditation and visions. I hope that that wasn't too far off the subject there, guys. I mean, it's Kabbalah, and Kabbalah and Freemasonry go hand in hand. And, of course, Chabad 
are very capitalistic. And so that almost sounded like I said capitalistic, which they are that too. But I just thought that was kind of an interesting uh, comparison there and some interesting views on the color blue. Uh, a lot of people know that there are uh, psychological aspects to colors. There are occult ideas of colors, and it's not just uh, Kabbalists and, and Jews who think that certain colors have certain symbolism. Uh, it's it's a pretty interesting kind of dive if you ever want to look into that, but I just thought we would uh, kind of go over that quickly. Now, there are 32 degrees in the Scottish Rite Freemasonry, right? We all know that. 32 degrees, and then you have the 33rd being appointed by the council. So you have to be appointed as the 33rd. You can't earn it. Now, there's also 10 Sephiroth and 22 paths of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. It all connects together. That it forms 32 paths of wisdom. And there's also an extra path known as Deat, sometimes known as the 33rd hidden path. So there you go. I mean, where did they where did they get that? Where did the Freemasons get the 32nd and 33rd degrees? Obviously, they got it straight from Kabbalah. Kabbalah is indeed of the essence of Freemasonry. That is the co-Mason and theosophist Lena P. Blavatsky, obviously the co-founder of the Theosophical Society, says, as quoted from a secondary source, The Secret Teachings of the Masonic Lodge by Ankenberg and Weldon. Another quote here, uh, Freemasonry is Kabbalism in another garb. That's Freemason F.D.P. Castell, The Genuine Secrets of Freemasonry Prior to A.D. 1717. And that is from The Hidden Secrets of the Eastern Star by Dr. Kathy Burns. From a Mason and probably Rosicrucian himself, the Jewish mysteries are the source of our present tradition, of which was carried to Rome and thence passed down through the Collegia into the medieval guilds, finally emerging in the 18th century in the speculative rituals of the craft degrees in the Holy Royal Arch, and the degree of Mark Master Mason, and in those other emblems and ceremonies. That was Freemason C.W. Leadbeater from his book, Freemasonry and Its Ancient Mystic Rites. He mentioned the medieval guilds, and I can't help but think about the guilds that we talked about in the city of London, you know, the square mile, just the, the, the heart of the city, and how the whole town is run by these guilds, they're all Masons. So you see that Kabbalah entrenched London, and that is the banking hub of the world. So these things have a lot of a lot of connections and a lot of meanings if we really start to do the dives on them. And after a while, I've been doing this now for a while, doing all this research, and you start to put together some things. Sometimes you don't even mean to, and then you just kind of realize, oh, wait. Now I understand the connections there. And so that happens to me from time to time. I wish it happened more, but we're all trying to put these puzzle pieces together. We're going to continue looking at some of these quotes here. The reasons behind any great event in history cannot be summed up in scholarly litany. And this seems especially true of the formation of the Premier Grand Lodge in 1717. Recent scholarship has dwelled heavily on the enlightenment presuppositions of the Lodge, and one would imperil one's good sense to contradict that. But 
Elements of contemporary culture, some of which touch on the spiritual themes of the Lodge, have led current scholarship into what might be called a misunderstanding. This is especially true of the vast subject of Kabbalah and its relationship to the development of Masonic ritual. William Preston was so impressed with Kabbalistic themes that he has been appraised as conceiving the Lodge as a Masonic university of the Kabbalah. That was Mason Kirk McNulty in Kabbalah and Freemasonry. And from the website Masonic Sourcebook, we see it says, We can see the well-established idea that Kabbalah did influence the Premier Grand Lodge in some way as having to do with not just ready-made symbols like the Sephiroth, but with a more profound, if scandalous, and potentially heretical notion like the human healing the divine, or the tikkun, as it says. And we look at another quote. Here it says, The whole basis of our theory is the Kabbalah. Aleister Crowley, Freemason and father of modern Satanism, as quoted by Craig Heimbigner's Blood on the Altar, page 116. The source allegedly is from magic in theory and practice. I haven't looked at that, but I'm just going to take this website's word for it. I have that book, and uh, I should have looked it up, but I didn't. Here we have a quote from Manley Palmer Hall in Secret Teachings of the Masonic Lodge. The theories of Kabbalism are inextricably interwoven with the tenets of alchemy, Hermeticism, Rosicrucianism, and Freemasonry. So we know that... Hall is one of the go-to sources on many things occult, but especially things having to do with Freemasonry and Rosicrucianism as well. We go back to C.W. Leadbeater in the same book, Freemasonry and its Ancient Mystic Rites. In the Kabbalah, we find fragments of the symbolic knowledge, which was once the exclusive property of the initiates. So close are the analogies between certain of the doctrines of the Kabbalah and those of earlier degrees of masonry, that it has been supposed that Kabbalistic students were responsible for the introduction of speculative masonry in our modern craft. The student of occultism does not hold this view, for he knows that our speculative rituals belong in substance to a far older past than 18th century, and that they perpetuate the tradition of the Jews who derived it from the mysteries of Egypt. He sees in the Kabbalah, a written and exoteric portion of certain teachings belonging to Jews, though handed down. And another, uh, like I said, we're going to be reading a lot of these quotes, but you know, I am not an expert on this stuff, although uh, I would be becoming an expert probably. I guess some could say that because I've learned so much, but uh, certainly I don't consider myself an expert. I'm just a, a guy who's interested in this kind of stuff. It says here, the Kabbalah may be defined to be a system of philosophy which embraces certain mystical interpretations of scripture and metaphysical and spiritual beings. Much use is made of it in the advanced degrees, and entire rites have been constructed on its principles. That was Albert Mackey, the historian, the Masonic historian from Mackey's Revised Encyclopedia of Freemasonry. Now, I'm sorry if I do repeat a couple of these quotes that I may have mentioned in the other show. It's been quite a while since I've done that show, but I think that this is going to make this show, this particular episode, even better. Now, another quote here from Kathy Burns' Hidden Secrets of the Eastern Star. 
Masonry cannot be fully appreciated or understood without knowledge of the capitalistic tree of life. Now, that was Paul Foster Case, Freemason and Golden Dawn member. And he has written many books on occultism. And here we have another quote, All Masonic associations owe it to Kabbalah, their secrets, and their symbols. Eliphas Levy from Transcendental Magic. Now, one thing I was reading recently in a book about Eliphas Levy, I was looking up stuff for the show, and it was a book on his life, and it explained in there how Helena Blavatsky got much of her occult teachings from Eliphas Levy's books. And if you guys have been with me a while, you remember that we know now that the famous author, the guy that we mentioned earlier, I believe, uh, Albert Pike, the Masonic author, Grand Inspector General of the 33rd Degree, uh, he was a plagiarist, and one of the main people that he ripped off was Eliphas, or Eliphas Levy, however you want to say that. So we see that the Scottish Rite and Theosophy took a lot of information from Levy to kind of form their associations. We go back to Hall here. The true philosophy known and practiced by Solomon is the basis on which masonry is founded. Oh, this says here, that was actually from Albert Pike, Morals and Dogma. I'm sorry. Uh, and then here it says, according to the Talmudic legends, Solomon understood the mysteries of the Kabbalah. He was also a necromancer, being able to summon demons. That one was from Manly P. Hall, The Secret Teachings of All Ages. Another by Hall, Freemasonry is founded upon the activities of this secret society of Central European adepts, whom the studious Mason will find to be the definite link between the modern craft and the ancient wisdom. The outer body of the Masonic philosophy was merely the veil of this cabalistic order whose members were the custodians of the true arcanum. And that was from Hall's Rosicrucian and Masonic Origins. Here we see a quote, The basis of the Western occultism of medieval times is the Kabbalah of the medieval Hebrew rabbis. That was William Wynne Westcott, a Freemason and a Rosicrucian. This is another one from Eliphas Levy. That great Kabbalistical association known in Europe under the name of Masonry appeared suddenly in the world and when the revolt against the church had just succeeded in dismembering Christian unity. That was also from Transcendental Magic. And here we have another from Albert Pike, which I do believe we mentioned in the last show. Masonry is a search after light. The search leads us directly back, as you will see, to the Kabbalah. I mean, there's no, there's no denying it. Here's a quote from Paul A. Fisher from the Behind the Lodge Door book. That's a good book. And when augmented by wide-ranging reading from a number of works related to the craft, most of which were suggested by New Age articles or editorial commentary, it is evident that international Freemasonry historically has been a revolutionary worldwide movement organized to advance Kabbalistic Gnosticism and, if possible, to undermine Christianity. This is Richard Cavendish from the book The Dark Arts. The Kabbalah is a body of occult doctrine, originally Jewish, which has been adopted with enthusiasm by non-Jewish occultists since the 15th century. Freemasons Levy, Mathers, and Crowley were all heavily influenced by it. Of course, of course they were. Another quote here from Thomas Friend from the book Fallen Angel. 
Although many Kabbalists have led devout and blameless lives, thick veins of magic and sorcery are not far beneath the Kabbalah's surface. Now here's another quote. In essence, the Kabbalah, as preserved in the Zohar, completely subverts everything which God ever tried to teach the Jews about himself and about ethics and religion. That's uh, Theodore Winston. Israel, our duty, our dilemma. Another quote by Theodore, excuse me, I guess his name, his full name is Theodore Winston Pike. Even today, virtually all occult systems, especially theosophical ones, and practices including witchcraft and Satanism, borrow heavily from the Kabbalah in their rituals and symbolism. That's again from his book, Israel, Our Duty, Our Dilemma. I apologize, his name was written strangely earlier. And another quote from him, as Nesta Webster documents so well, modern theosophy is but warmed over Kabbalah. So I'm telling you, it is the foundation of occultism. You can't have occultism without Kabbalah. I mean, you can have hermeticism and alchemy, mix in some astrology, but you have to have the Kabbalah to round it up. Now, this one is from Tex Mars, the late Tex Mars. The philosophy and doctrines of the Jewish Kabbalah are the wellspring of virtually every wicked occult sect, satanic secret society, and witchcraft cult that has arisen in the past 1,000 years. Uh, I don't know if Kabbalah has been around that long, but certainly mysticism has. I will go into another quote here from The Essential Golden Dawn, An Introduction into High Magic. This is by Sandra and Chick Cicero. Kabbalah is the heart of the Western Hermetic tradition. It is the foundation upon which the art of Western magic rests. And this would be from Rabbi Jeffrey W. Dennis, Jewish Myth, Magic, and Mysticism. That sounds like a book I would like to get. It says, Judaism is one of the oldest living esoteric traditions in the world. Virtually every form of Western mysticism and spiritualism known today, draws upon Jewish, mythic, and occult teachings. Magic, angiology, alchemy, numerology, astral projection, dream interpretation, astrology, amulets, divination, altered states of consciousness, alternate healing, and rituals of power all have roots in the Jewish occult. That again is Rabbi Jeffrey W. Dennis, Jewish Myth, Magic, and Mysticism. So, I mean, it's hard to argue with, right? There's so much, so much proof, yet we barely ever hear anything. Like I said, we only hear a couple of quotes here from Hall and Pike, which I mentioned a couple of those tonight, but there's so many more that I think it's worth really going over. We mentioned Eliphas Levy. Let's look at a few of his longer quotes. Uh, This would be from his Book of Splendors. It says, Solomon's temple was, to be sure, a holy symbolical edifice. Its plan, its construction, its ornaments, its vessels, all represented a synthesis of all sciences. It was the universe. It was philosophy. It was the heavens. Solomon laid down the plans. Hiram executed them with perfect understanding and the directors of work were well-versed in the science of detail. The workers followed closely the plans of the masters. The hierarchy, so rational and just, is taken in Freemasonry to represent the model of a perfect society. 
Freemasonry is eclectic, independent Judaism. The Freemasons wish to rebuild the temple. In other words, to reestablish a primitive society based on this meaningful hierarchy and on progressive initiation without the obstacles of priests and kings. It is for this reason they call themselves Freemasons, free builders. And he goes on to say that in Masonic legend, they are designated by symbols whose capitalistic combinations vary according to the degree of initiation. And in the History of Magic, one of his other books, he says the allegorical end of Freemasonry is the rebuilding of Solomon's Temple. The real end is the restoration of a social unity by an alliance between reason and faith and by reverting to the principles of the hierarchy. Listen closely and think about the externalization of the hierarchy by theosophist Alice Bailey. Because you don't hear many Masons actually talking about any type of hierarchy. In fact, you would get the feeling that they lead more towards anarchy instead of some kind of hierarchy. But no matter what system we have, there's going to be people in charge. So let's go a little bit deeper into this. The allegorical end of Freemasonry is the rebuilding of Solomon's Temple. The real end is the restoration of a social unity by an alliance between reason and faith and by reverting to the principle of the hierarchy. Based on science and virtue, the path of initiation and its ordeals serving as steps of ascent. Nothing, it will be seen, is more beautiful, nothing greater than are such ideas and dedications. Unhappily, the doctrines of unity and submission to the hierarchy have not been maintained in universal Freemasonry. In addition to that, which was orthodox, there arose a dissident Masonry, and all that is worst in the calamities of the French Revolution, which were the result of this schism. That's pretty interesting because, boy... <laughs> You hear from most Masons that, no, it's not true, even though we know that uh, the main people involved in the French Revolution were Jacobins and Freemasons. Another quote by Levy in Mysteries of the Kabbalah, he says, The magnificent plan, forever repudiated by human passions, has been preserved in the secret associations of the initiates to the High Kabbalah and can be found at the present time among the symbols of Freemasonry, which received this emblem from the Johannites and the Templars. Isn't that interesting? Key quotes there. It seems that there's been a plan for a long time. We hear about trust the plan under Trump and all the Q stuff, and we know that there has been a plan. As I mentioned, um, theosophist Alice Bailey, uh, Lucius Trust, she talks about a plan in her books quite a bit. But Levy's books would predate her books by 50, 60 years or maybe even more. And let's see here. Now here we're going to look at some quotes by Bernard Lazar, a Jewish author. The book, Antisemitism, Its Causes and History. Here we have, Proceeding from the monotheism and the conception of a personal god, as their religious point of departure, the Jews of Alexandria were bound to come metaphysically to pantheism, to the idea of a divine substance, to the doctrine of intermediaries between man and the absolute, i.e., to emanations, to the eons of Valentinus and the Sephiroths of the Kabbalah, 
To this Jewish fund were super added the contributions of Chaldean, Persian, and Egyptian religions, which coexisted at Alexandria. At that time were elaborated those extraordinary Gnostic theogenies, so multifarious, so varied, so madly mystical. Another quote, he says, Throughout the Middle Ages, the Jew was considered by the common people as the magician par excellence. And as a matter of fact, a number of Jews did devote themselves to magic. We find many formulas of exorcism in the Talmud, and the demonology both of the Talmud and the Kabbalah is very complicated. He goes on, It is true, of course, that there were Jews connected within Freemasonry from its birth, students of the Kabbalah, as is shown by certain rites which survive. It is probable, too, that in the years preceding the outbreak of the French Revolution, they entered in greater number than ever into the councils of the secret societies, becoming, indeed themselves, the founders of secret associations. There were Jews in the circles around Adam Weishaupt, and a Jew of Portuguese origin, Martinez de Pasquale, established numerous groups of Illuminati in France and gathered a large number of disciples, whom he instructed in the doctrines of reintegration. The lodges which Martinez found were mystic in character, whereas the other orders of Freemasonry were, on the whole, rationalistic in their teachings. This might also lead one to say that the secret societies gave expression, in a way, to the twofold nature of the Jew, on one hand a rigid rationalism, and on the other that pantheism, which, beginning as the metaphysical reflection of their belief in one God, often ended in a sort of Kabbalistic theurgy. There would be little difficulty in showing how these two tendencies worked in harmony. How Cazzotti, Cagliostro, Martinez, and St. Martin, the Comte de St. Gervais, and Eckerthausen were practically in alliance with the encyclopedists and Jacobins, and both, in spite of their seeming hostility, succeeded in arriving at the same end, the undermining, namely, of Christianity. Again, this is Bernard Lazar, a Jewish author. Really interesting information here. Uh, this, too, he says, then, would tend to show that, though the Jews might very well have been active participants in the agitation carried on by secret societies, it was not because they were the founders of such associations, but merely because the doctrines of the secret societies agreed so well with their own. The case of Martinez de Pasquale is an exceptional one, and even with regard to him, it should be remembered that before he became the founder of lodges, Martinez had already been initiated into the mysteries of the Illuminati and the Rosicrucians. Now, I hope that you've enjoyed this show so far. We've got some more stuff to add, but one thing I was thinking is, you know, in Washington, D.C., just a few blocks from the White House, stands the Supreme Council's headquarters, the Supreme Council of the Scottish Rite, the Council of 33. And he noticed that it's called the House of the Temple. It's not called the House of the Church, the House of the Cathedral. It's the House of the Temple. The Templars were the order of the temple, and Freemasons are said to be on a quest to restore the temple on behalf of the Templars. Restore the temple, the third temple, this third temple that all the Orthodox Jews are talking about that has to be built right there where the Al-Aqsa Mosque stands today in Palestine. 
You know, many people say that the Templars changed their Christian religion and became pantheists because of the Kabbalah. So it's pretty interesting when you see these connections. And according to the Jewish Encyclopedia, in the Scottish Rite, the dates of all the official documents are given according to the Hebrew months in the Jewish era. And use is made of the older form of Samaritan or Phoenician of the Hebrew alphabet. And we know that the Hebrew alphabet, especially through the Kabbalah, is a mystical alphabet. The letters have various meanings. They have meanings in themselves, and they are used a lot in Jewish mysticism and Kabbalah. And that's a, you know, we could do a series on that. And I want to learn a lot more about that because it gets very complicated when you're not familiar with it. Now, I've heard uh, the late Paul Rana who, despite being a high-level Freemason and uh, Martinist, was really someone that you could watch his videos or listen to him on a podcast and learn a ton about these occult secret societies. And the guy died. Uh, he wasn't very old, I don't think. Uh, don't know what happened to him. If it was a car wreck or something. I think it happened quickly. But I'd watched quite a few of his videos and learned a lot. And he said plainly that if you really want to understand Masonry, you basically have to learn how to speak Hebrew, and you have to learn the Hebrew alphabet. And here in A.E. Waits, The Secret Tradition in Freemasonry, there's another occultist here, wrote many occult books. Mason, probably Rosicrucian, I believe as well. And he said, For myself, I believe that the mystic hands which transformed Freemasonry were the hands of a Kabbalistic section of wardens of the secret tradition, that their work is especially traceable in the craft legend, and that although in its present form this legend is much later and a work of the 18th century, it represents some part or reflection of the Zoharic preoccupations which began in England with Robert Flood and Thomas Vaughan and were continued through Henry Moore and were in evidence both in France and Britain before and about the period of the French Revolution. On the next episode, we're going to read more from A.E. Waite's Secret Tradition in Freemasonry. There's some really interesting quotes in that book. I believe it's Waite, too, that has the uh, Secret Doctrine in Israel book as well, and I've been slowly reading that. It's a little bit hard to get through. Uh, these books, man, they're not my favorite types of books to read in by any stretch of the imagination, uh, they get very, um, well, some of these guys are very long-winded in their writings. They like to wax eloquently, and it just gets really boring to me, but it's the only way you're going to learn a lot of this stuff. So we'll be looking more into him and some of the things that he said. I think that we'll understand this much better once we get done with this, not this episode, but the next episode. And then you can go back and listen to all three in a row, and I think that you'll have something that you can, you know, you can have as evidence of certain things. You can take down notes. You can kind of put this whole thing together for yourself, see what you come up with, and hopefully share with others. Well, all right, guys, that brings us to the end of this show. And as always, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it that you can take with you forever. It's one of the reasons I don't do topical shows. I want to do historical shows and shows that you know we won't forget tomorrow because the news comes so fast that we can't remember from one day to the next what's going on and I really really respect those people that can navigate the news but 
For me, I'm just trying to kind of look at the present and the future through the past. And so I hope that you will take this with you and make of it what you will for yourselves. Now, I want to thank my patrons because you guys have been so awesome and I really appreciate your support because I know that I don't do content a lot like I was at first, but I'm working on that and I'm really excited for this year, this coming year. Because I felt like last year, I really got bogged down with all the information, a lot of dark information. You know, I was really dealing with a lot of, I was really having to kind of come to the conclusion that I'd been wrong and a lot of things I'd been taught my whole life. And that's tough. That's really tough. But once you're able to kind of get through it and accept it, then it is fulfilling and you feel like there is hope. And so that's where I'm at now. Uh, this year, I feel like I finally got enough content to make a lot of shows that I think you guys will appreciate. It's just a matter of getting the information together in order, but I no longer feel like I have to be searching constantly for more and more information. I feel like I got a pretty good set of subjects that I have enough information to do a show or even two on that I think will be good and be full of content something that again you can take with you and remember so that's what i'm hoping for in the near future because it's crazy out there right and we really need all the help we can get to understand where the country's going where the world's going and what we need to do about it and if we can see these things in the past and see how we got to where we are today then i think that it will help us out a lot or at least that's my philosophy so thank you so much for supporting me and supporting this show and I look forward to bringing you a lot more content this year. I want to thank my patrons. And if you want to become a patron, just go to patreon.com forward slash the odd man out. I really appreciate it. I want to thank Dread. I want to thank Cole. I want to thank Ashley. I want to thank that crazy bread man for being a covert co-conspirator. I want to thank Aaron. I want to thank Ruckus for being a producer of the show. You can check out Ruckus's work on alternatecurrentradio.com or you can check him out on TNT Radio as well. Thank you to No Evil Shall I Fear. Thank you, Mark, from Housatonic Live. Check out Mark's fine work. Mark does a bunch of great work, especially on vaccines and COVID-19. Thank you, James. Thank you, Bill, for being a producer of the show. Thank you to the Mighty Kilowatt. Thank you, Sir Tim of the Tunnels. Thank you, Aaron. And thank you to my friend Jack Allen from Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. Please check out all of Jack's fine content on YouTube and all your fine podcasting platforms. Now I want to thank my podcasting family, AlternateCurrentRadio.com. Get over there and check out all their fine podcasting and music shows as well. Especially their flagship show, The Boiler Room, which comes on every Thursday night. I want to also thank FringeRadioNetwork.com for carrying the show. And I want to thank you for listening again. Cheers and blessings, guys. And remember, their order is not our order. Happy 2024.